Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Cybersecurity Recruiter Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Christopher Paula. We've had a little debate off air. I'm, I'm, caught, I'm referring to Christopher as Chris. I'm going to do Chris a bit of an introduction. So, back in 2012, started off as an information system security manager at BAQ 130. Chris then progressed on to an incident management leading petty officer for the Nash for the Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command. Chris then went on um, to be an information information systems technician for the U.S. Navy. He then went on in 2019 to be a senior intelligence operations analyst. Then progressed to director. Director of Professional Services uh, for Centripol. Chris is also, you're probably going to wonder where he found the time, Chris is also a course instructor at present for Cybery, and he currently holds the position of Offensive Security Practice Lead for Strong Crypto Innovations. And in addition to everything I've just said, Chris is also a red versus blue coach for the u.s cyber team which allows the u.s cyber team to compete in international cyber events chris how are you mate and did i get your introduction right yeah you did yeah thank you so much really excited to be here thomas love talking about this stuff love really getting excited and helping other people get excited into this this industry it's a lot of fun Good, good. Listen, mate, I feel like you're very well qualified to, to add value to the community and I'm, I'm looking forward to this conversation as well. I'll start where I always like to start. Is I know I've done you a, a bit of an intro. I feel like I could never do it as well as you, but if you could kind of tell me really who you are, what you've been up to the, the past few years and, and what you're up to on a day-to-day basis, my friend. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Like you said, I was in the Navy, so I did eight years active duty. The first four years, I was doing sysadmin work with the VAQ-130, which is an electronic attack squadron. I did deploy on a carrier during that time, which which was interesting. I learned a lot from it. Also glad I'm done. And then I was at the Navy Cyber Defense Operations Command after that, where and that's where I really got my first taste of cyber. Uh, before that, I thought... I was going to be a sysadmin because I, I loved doing that work. It was a ton of fun. And then I got that first taste of cyber and I realized, man, the cyber stuff is way more fun. It's way cooler. This is what I want to do now. And really just took off from there. I took advantage of a lot of the programs that the Navy has for tuition assistance, as well as different certifications. Realistically, the only reason why I have all these certifications is because the Navy or my GI Bill paid for it. Realistically, I just had to do a lot of studying, self-studying, looking at how to pass these certifications and why I want to have them with me in in my career. So I did get out of active duty in 2019, and then I was at Centripetal for four years. I just recently started at Strong Crypto Innovations over the last uh, two months, where, as you said, I'm the offensive security practice lead. And what we do is a lot of pen testing, red teaming phishing engagements, vishing. We're trying to get into some of the OT space as well, which I'm really excited about because I just enrolled in the SANS grad certificate for industrial control system security. So I'm really excited to see where we can take that and, and where we can go with that. Brilliant, and then, uh, brilliant. Yeah, sorry, yeah. no, I'll let you finish. 
<laughs> yeah, so I got a small plug for the U.S. Cyber Team. <laughs> this is the third season for the U.S. Cyber Team, and this is my first season being a coach for the team. Absolutely love it. There's some unbelievably qualified athletes as well as other coaches that I get to work with, and it's really all about developing that new workforce and helping us take those athletes and individuals, put them together as a team, and then go compete internationally. So I'm uh, super excited to be a, a part of that team and really excited to see what we can do in this upcoming season. Cool. So offensive security is a bit more fun than sysadmin then, yeah? It, it is a little <laughs> bit. It is. Okay. It's a tough spot because sysadmin's important, very important, and it's always very operationally focused where it's difficult to get into the pen testing stuff if you don't understand why sysadmins do the operational work they need to do and, and how do we present that in context when we're doing our testing. So I'm, I'm very thankful that I did do the sysadmin work first so I have that understanding and that like, this is how these things are supposed to be used and here's how they get abused and, and why. Yeah, no, cool. No, definitely. I, I've seen it loads of times before as well, Chris, with with. with guys and girls I know that are, that are really senior and really good, they often come in through that sysadmin route. And I'm imagining then if you're dealing on the operations side, when it comes to sysadmin, I'm imagining that aided your communication skills as well. Yeah, yeah, well all, Certainly. His method to the madness, it all kind of ties, it all kind of ties in, doesn't it? I know you briefly touched on your certifications. Like I was just flicking down your LinkedIn profile while you were talking there and I was trying to count them all. And I think I lost count. I think I've got, there's a lot. There's a lot. There's way too many. There's a lot. There's a lot. No, no, it's good. It's good. And look, for anyone listening that is thinking about purchasing any SAM certifications or preparing for SAM certifications, we'll, we'll unpack what Chris has done in relation to that. Because obviously, there isn't many people around, I would say, that have got more SAMs certs than you. Like, you, you, you've got a lot. And obviously, you're doing the OT one soon. Just one thing I just wanted to ask you, you mentioned there about being a coach and I think we spoke about off air and I'm always screaming it from the rooftops on LinkedIn about how passionate I am about self-development and seeing people move forward. I think it's a key part of maintaining happiness levels and sense of purpose and then the remote working piece, you tie that in and you're like, wow, osmosis isn't there anymore. Self-development really matters. As a coach for the red and blue team, for the for the national US national cyber team and as a coach for cyber anything any patterns about what holds people back from progressing as quick as they could or any do's and don'ts when it comes to learning that could help the listeners progress in an industry like cybersecurity that just moves so so fast yes yeah great question one thing i see very often is the analysis paralysis where you know and i'm completely guilty of this too where i'm trying to learn something new and I just want to try to learn as many things I can about it before I start doing it. And while I'm trying to learn that, I realize, oh, I, I don't know as much about this as I'd like. I, I shouldn't get started. I, I don't even know where to begin. You, you just have to start. Like, literally, just get started. Everyone's going to be terrible at it when you first start. And the whole idea is how you learn from it and how you grow from it. And that's one of the things I really like pushing people into CTFs for to say, yeah, your first experience is going to be rough and you're going to learn a lot from it. And this is how you make yourself valuable and show that you have these different skills and, and ways to solve problems that employers are looking for. Yeah, definitely. There's a few bits there. And 
I was smiling when he said analysis, uh, paralysis, bar analysis, because I, I signed up for this recruitment coaching course all, all online. Um, you get some kind of one-to-one stuff and group stuff. And this guy that runs it has done extremely well in in recruitment. One of the things he's always saying is, Tom, just, just no, just, just, you've, you've done that. Just come on, move, move. And you, you do, you can kind of overanalyze stuff, think about yep. stuff. And the compound effect of that over six months, 12 months, 18 months, on your career progression it's substantial so yeah i can really relate to that just another thing on, on, on the coach thing i think as well some of it's a bit of a an ego thing in the sense that if you've been in offensive set or recruitment or whatever it is uh, stock analyst for, for a long time i think sometimes the whole coach thing can be a bit cause like i've done recruitment for a, a long time and it's I think sometimes it's a little bit drop the ego with the coach thing because the best sportsmen and women in the world have a coach. And I think it's important to remember that a coach is really beneficial. Do you coach people at all different levels or is it more junior end? Yeah, you do. Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's one of my favorite things. I I love being a mentor. I love helping people understand and and help reposition how they're looking at something or understanding something. Uh, a lot of times it's going to be in the context of some kind of CTF problem or hack the box machine. And then also it's also how do we write our findings? We did all the testing, but now we need to write the report. And how do you know that your report is going to deliver value? So we need to make sure that you know, we have that right mindset and, and understand and, and position ourselves in that that way as well. Great response to the question in my mind. Just something I just want to go back to though. You said about you'd be, you didn't use these exact words, but you essentially said you're not going to be great at stuff the first time you do it. And I think that's so important to to remember. The phrase I like to use is get really comfortable being uncomfortable because that's when you're growing. If you feel uncomfortable, that's when you're moving forward at a, a pace that might might surprise you in a, in a good way. Yep. You just said there, you, the exact, you just mentioned writing a report that delivers value. Can you, for people listening now that perhaps have never been coached by you and, and so on and so forth, how can I, if I'm sat here now and I know my report writing isn't as good as it should be, maybe it's quite good, but I'd, I'd like it to be better or I'm always on the lookout to improve. Can you tell me maybe a few ways on how I can ensure my report is delivering value? Sure. Yeah. So it's super important to keep in mind that the report is what the customer is buying. They're not purchasing you hacking. They're not purchasing you looking up Intel. They're purchasing the report. So if they're paying 15, 20, 30 grand for you to do that service, that report by itself needs to be worth the 15, 20, 30 grand that they're paying for. So one thing I see very often is there is minimal explanations about a finding. They're missing context. Context is everything in what we do and, and why we're presenting our recommendations. And then also screenshots are some of my favorite ones, especially ones that we mark up the screenshots. We put a big red arrow showing the specific spot on the screenshot where there's an issue or or some kind of critical information that was leaked. We have to keep in mind that a lot of these, especially senior executives, they don't spend a lot of time reading these reports. They'll only, you know, skim the executive summary or even some of the people, the sysadmins, they'll just scroll through the report 
and they're really only looking at pictures and captions. So another thing I really like to hit on is, hey, if someone's scrolling through this report and just reading the headings and looking at the screenshots, are they going to get the gist or 80% of what we're trying to convey just from reading through that? Big emphasis on that. And then anytime we can quantify our findings and quantify what a specific loss might be is always a huge win. I use the IBM cost of a data breach report that they come out annually. Generally, depending on the type of data that we gain access to, it's anywhere between $100 to about $440 a record. And that's not just the cost of the incident response, but also the cleanup and the notifications and then the loss in confidence. As far as when a like a school system, if they lose 4,000 records for students, that's up to $400 a record, something like, geez, uh, it was like $460,000 in uh, estimated losses that they could have dealt with. And they paid us $15,000 to do the testing. So anytime we can call that out, we say, hey, you potentially saved this much based on the things we found and help you resolve. So that, that is always a huge win for everybody. And it makes our work look very valuable as well. I mean, what a wicked answer. Thank you, Chris. So just to summarize for everyone listening, keep in mind the end client. Yes, you might have done a million different cool things. You might have moved laterally within the network and done this, that, and the other. And it might have been so but at the end of the day, especially a non-technical stakeholder, they're just seeing the report. Yeah, we know that's not the case, but, but it is for them. <laughs> so client's just going to think about the report. You've got to be able, you've got to articulate and explain those findings well. Please include screenshots. Mark up the spot on the screenshot. Execs are busy. Make it easy if they're scrolling or scanning. Make it so they can grasp it when they're scrolling or scanning. Put something in there that's real life. You mentioned the IBM data loss. You mentioned two hundred forty dollars per record. You said, yeah, anywhere between two hundred and twenty to four hundred and forty dollars a record based on cleanup costs and, and everything else. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Brilliant, mate. That's really like that answer, mate. It's, it's really good. And I said, the report writing side, it's just, it's massive, mate, isn't it? Like I say, I, I've mentioned it before. And everything. Un, un, yeah, it is. I'll unapologetically repeat myself in the sense that you can be just the best low-level hacker on the planet, but if no one wants to fix anything you find... Not so much, yes, it doesn't make you a, a good all-rounded pen tester, but also imagine how sad you're going to be when you're finding all these things and no one's interested in fixing them. It's going to really whack your happiness levels and, and sense of purpose. So not digressing, but just going off track a little bit here, because would you agree that it's probably a massive point for employers to really drill down on? Because... If findings are being finding, not being fixed, that's probably going to cause retention problems. It's probably going to cause issues in the team. Is it something you think employers should be really drilling down into and really holding training classes on perhaps? Yeah, I guess it really depends on the context with the findings as well. Because um, again, context is everything. One particular point I do want to say is that when we're doing this as an outside consulting company, if we don't give a high quality, outstanding unbelievable report, there's a good chance that they're going to go to a different consulting agency the next year. But if we knock their socks off and really put together a phenomenal report, 
what we end up seeing is hey, these customers come back to us year after year and they keep asking us questions about it because they love the work we did for them. They love the service and they want to learn more. That is another thing to keep in mind for the internal red teams. I know a lot of them do have trouble where they keep ringing the bell about these findings that never get, you know, remediated. So they're just sitting there. And that that is definitely something really tough that you have to deal with the political bureaucracy of whatever organization you're in. But I definitely would recommend trying to go through the respective channels and keep going through there or rewording the impact of these vulnerabilities, what it could mean to the organization if they were exploited. Yeah, yeah, no, th- th- thanks, mate. And, and I think, Chris, as well, just on your point about stuff getting found test after test and not getting fixed, I think as a red team, a pen tester, whatever, I think it's so easy to go, not to their face, but I know this happens, all oh, the clients, this, the clients, that, but that's the easy thing to do. I think that the right thing and the harder thing to probably do is go, is what you just said, like, how else can we approach this? What, what, what would actually really get this client, hit this client's buttons? If I worded it this way, or next time we're on that face-to-face meeting, or next time we're on that scoping call, if I could just drop this in and drop, and it might take six months, 12 months, 24 months, 18 months, but if you get an extra couple of major findings fixed, then that's amazing. So it's huge. I think it's, yeah, it's just chipping away and... I know from recruitment stuff, sometimes it's a long-term game and you can't get everything straight away and you have to sit back and be a bit strategic and box clever. I like to use the phrase box clever. But yeah, no, it's um, it's making a lot of sense. But yeah, no, thanks, mate. Is there anything else on, you've given loads, but is there anything else on how to get findings fixed? Because I know it's a frustration across the industry with, with certain people. Yeah, it's really tough. I, I really like drilling into our, our presentation as well when we're on a call with the client and actually walking through the report. I, I really like to hit on like the top ones and say why this is a vulnerability and, and talk to them, make it a conversation instead of them just reading off that stuff. Because uh, again, I want them to understand what the impact of these findings are. Like we run into a lot of kind of the uh, active directory certificate services escalation paths and a lot of them still don't understand where they ask questions or, or they wait until they get additional answers before going forward and that makes me think okay am, am i not describing this well enough how do i change how i'm writing about these vulnerabilities so that they're easier to understand the impact and that these uh, organizations will want to take action more immediately no definitely and i think i think as well i think setting realistic timelines like i'm just thinking now if 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 someone came on the phone to me and tried to educate me on every single last thing on something i didn't know anything about probably switch off after 20 minutes half an hour you know people have got short attention spans it might be a case of just on a five minute call and just do just having five minutes of the call for educate a bit like what you just said there you said educate them here it's just again it just goes back to being a bit more strategic as well chris i'm sure you've probably found it but if i relate this to recruitment calls one of the things and i'm giving away some secrets here for for, for, for future <laughs> clients listening but who cares i always get them to talk first and, and really listen to to, to what they're saying because if someone comes on a call to me and they're going, oh, I want to engage you, I want your services, but if everything's fine and everything's great and the need's not really there and maybe they're not 
they're not as excited about growing as I would like. Yep. <laughs> Genuinely, I will go, I don't think now's the time for us to partner together. And it takes clients like, what? Sometimes it gets them running back to you, but that's yep. not what the aim is. I just don't want to be in a position where I'm presenting amazing profiles and I'm waiting around for feedback or I'm faffing around or I'm getting messed around with booking appointments and I'm just too busy. And if I relate this back to pen testing, I can imagine on that initial scoping call, what they say to you, I would imagine really matters because if they're making noise about they're worried about this, they're worried about that, they're worried about that. And then if you can refer them back to that, when you find stuff, I can imagine that can pull certain triggers and levers and so on and so yep. forth. Is that, is that the case? Oh yeah, hundred percent. And like you said, that initial scoping call, we'll jump on a call because we know, Hey, this customer, they want a pen test. And then as soon as we get on, I ask them, all right, why do you think you need a pen test? What's driving you to go down these lines? And it could be anything from compliance requirements to wanting to accurately understand their level of risk. And then we'll go through and ask and say, hey, what are your major goals from doing this? If that is the check in the box or if they do want the different levels of evaluation. And then also what's the most critical data in your organization where if that data got compromised would cause the biggest impact to the organization in either their operations or, you know, confidentiality or availability throughout uh, that type of activities. Most of the time it's going to be financial information uh, or some kind of PII, PHI, something along those lines. And uh, generally what we end up doing, especially for an internal assessment is we'll escalate our way to domain admin and then figure out where they store those databases and then pivot over to those ones. And what we'll do is we'll just read like the column names or show that we have access, but not actually get the information from the tables. That way the confidentiality is maintained, but we can prove that, hey, we did have the ability to gather this information through these different escalation procedures within the environment. I think that point you've made there is really big. I'm just going to emphasize it because Again, I know from dealing with recruitment, it's very people orientated. There's people on the client side, on the candidate side, and everyone I've found doesn't necessarily act on logic, they act on emotion. And I can imagine what you've just said there. Look, if you really piss the client off, but you've found loads of stuff, the chances of getting stuff fixed, probably, I know for a fact, it reduces. So what you said there is probably almost like, so you're essentially just treading carefully and just um, making sure you don't rub them up the wrong way because if we keep the goal in mind of what we're trying to do, which is enhance their security posture, yep. um, if you go in there, and especially if you're talking to the person that has maybe spent money on various different defences fairly recently or even not fairly recently, just ever, if you go in there and you're exfiltrating data out left, right and centre, I can imagine it just goes down like a lead balloon. <laughs> it's, it's definitely hard. And, and yeah, I mean, you know, these people, they put a lot of time and effort into building these networks and especially for things like the K to 12, they just, they're completely understaffed, completely overworked. And that's why ransomware actors love targeting the K to 12s because generally it's very easy for them because there are a lot of these very common and, and well-known escalation paths and, and attacks inside of Active Directory that the sysadmins aren't aware of or they don't fully understand. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, ransomware, we could have a whole other conversation about it. It's almost like an industry of its own now, isn't it? It's, it it's really big. is. Yeah, it's big. Yeah, there's 
huge industries on the dark web just for purchasing the ransomware itself or reaching out to the initial access brokers. It's it's an ab- absolute industry. There's yeah, a lot yeah. of money into it. Yeah, yeah, no, there is, mate. There is definitely. I've seen that in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, mate. Cool. Listen, that's been that's been good, mate. And and just wait. About ten minutes ago, you talked about if you do if you knock the socks off in a report, the clients come back. And look, anyone who's listening who's at a mid to senior level will know this, but repeat business is amazing. And I had a client last week, re-engagers, and it's just, it's just, they were re- they were a bit busy last year, quiet at the start of the year, they've just gone really busy again. So we, I got back on the call to the founder, and it's just so easy because like they completely know and trust you, you completely know yep. and trust them, and the game just becomes easy. Essentially, if you can do the job right in the first place, that keeps people coming back. And of course, you haven't got to go out and keep winning new business all the time yep. because you've got your regular client flow. So it's easier for the client and easier for easier for the uh, for the organization on the other side as well. So, so yeah, easier for the vendor. Definitely. Cool. So Chris, not your offensive security practice lead. Not everyone gets to that level. There'll be people now that are listening that want to get to that level. Maybe they thought they could have done, but they didn't and so on and so forth. What's the, I've got an idea just from listening to different things you've said already, but what do you think has allowed you to get there? Yeah. So a lot of it is the curiosity and then always trying to learn new things like you've been saying. So it's just constantly learning about, all right, I'm reading about what these threat actors are doing online and they used this tool called Rubius, and I don't know anything about it. I'm going to learn how to do it. And it's tough too, because these are all tools where if you load them on Windows Defender, it goes nuts. And then it's okay. Now I can't really learn about Rubius until I learn how to get around Windows Defender first. So then I got to learn all these different tools on how to load these different binaries into PowerShell, into memory instead of accessing directly off disk, and then unpacking the assembly in memory and then we can access Rubius and now we can start playing around with that stuff. There's just a lot of different ways. Always have to be learning, always have to be uh, teaching others as well. So it's not just a, I'm learning how to do this for myself. It's I'm learning how to do this for myself so that I can teach others and show others how to do it as well. And that way when we work together, we can provide much more value to a customer than if I just knew it myself. Getting to that lead status does require a lot of communication, a lot of soft skills as well, which are are not easy to learn. But if you spend a lot of time in the technical side, what we want to do is bring our teams together. We want to make sure that everybody does learn something. They write down at least two or three things that they learn during each engagement, and then two or three things that we could improve on when we're done with an engagement and, and how to improve on that. And it's just this constant cycle of improving ourselves and reinventing how we do our work and, and trying to be more efficient and try to automate things more. Cool, mate. Yeah. And then also basically everything you've just talked about doing is like really stimulating and loads of fun, like reading about the latest attacks, reverse engineering them. You talked about, I've got to work out how to, to get past when they said that, that, <laughs> That is fun. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. So I think the key to remember is enjoy it as well. And I'm interested to see, hear what you think about this because I've heard people say you're doing a lot of malware analysis. Like you mentioned communication is important. And I've heard people say oh, if you're really low level, 
it's hard to be good at communication. But I, I don't know. I think it's a bit of a mindset thing. I'm not saying there's loads of people out there that are extremely low level technical with great communication. But I, I know there is because I talk to them. So I think yep. sometimes if you get in the mindset of, right, I'm great. It's almost like an identity thing. Like, right, I'm, I can reverse engineer this. I'm, I'm great at, at hardware hacking or malware analysis. So I don't need to be good at communication or I can't be good at communication. I do think a lot of it's to do with your, your mindset. Do you think there's something in that? Oh, yeah, 100%. You will completely limit yourself if you don't know how to communicate effectively. And then we do this for a career, right? So it's all about career progression as well. If you can't effectively communicate with soft skills, you will very much limit how far you can go in your career. It really doesn't matter how technical you get. If you can't talk to others about you know your findings or talk to others about why you deserve to be in a different position or have more pay, everyone should absolutely be learning how to do that. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you, mate. But a cybery, cybery instructor, if you could explain, Chris, I'd like to hear a bit more about what it involves I'd like to hear what it's done for your career progression. I, I know like all the facts say when you're teaching stuff, it reinforces your own knowledge. Yep. So it's helping others and helping you simultaneously. So it's win. But yeah, if you could tell us a bit more about your role as a cyber instructor, and if you could relate that to, to benefit in the listeners as well, that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I did this about four years ago. This was when I was leaving the Navy. I had one of my buddies who was leaving the Navy as well. He was actually making a smartphone forensics course for Cyberary, and he was telling me about it. And I was like, dude, this sounds great. I'd love to try to put something together. And one thing in particular I've seen during my career is that a lot of people, when they first get involved in cyber or sysadmin or whatever this work, they don't like the command line. They get very scared of the CLI and having to type commands in instead of clicking the pretty buttons on the screen. One thing in particular I was looking for with Cyberary is I, I want to put together a crash course on how to use the command line and how you should not be scared of it and how you should embrace it and how we can use that to really level up how we do our work and, and how we can expand and automate the things that we do. I did get in touch with the Cyberary team. They loved it and then went through, did a, I think it was about six hours of coursework that uh, I put together for them. It's been up there for about four years. I think it's four and a half stars or something. Tons of great, yeah, tons of great response. And I, I hear all the time from people on LinkedIn taking the course and how much they loved it. And those are some of my favorite LinkedIn messages that I get. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what, mate? We should share that on LinkedIn because that sounds like Yeah, that. definitely. Mm, that'd be really good. And um, I think the other thing as well, like you, you probably, I've noticed since the podcast and uh, uh, a benefit that I didn't foresee was my own self-development improvement. I would imagine if you're around cyber course instructors, I would imagine there's been some mutually beneficial situations as well. Is that the case? Oh, yeah. Yep. And, and like you said, when I was putting together all the training material, I was learning so many new things and, mm. and so many things that I thought I knew, but actually didn't learn the right way or I had the wrong acronym for a tool or something along those lines. So it's always a ton of fun to learn. I'm laughing at my notes, Chris, this next question, because I put massively love Sansa. Massive, massively yes. love your Sansa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Chris, you've got loads, mate. What we'll probably do is, we'll, if it's cool with you, mate, we'll definitely put a link to your, your LinkedIn yeah, profile in, in the show notes so, so people can check you out further and stuff like that. But 
probably a nice question to, to ask is which three move the needle the most for you, would you say, in your career? Yeah, uh, great question. One of the most recent ones I got was the GSE, which is the GX Security Expert. I was certified as number 329, and there's less than 400 in the world. Cool. So those are like the top tier, absolutely elite information security certification in the field. Absolutely loved doing it. It was 75 cyber live questions. So the, those are the ones where you actually have a VM and they give you a very vague question and you have mm -hmm. to figure out how to first understand the question. What are they asking? And then figure out how to do the task to find the answer that is for the question. And those were, I think it, it was about 12 hours or so across those 75 questions. And I used every last minute of it. It was very tough, <laughs> but Learned a lot from it. It's opened a ton of doors, especially at the new company, Strong Crypto, that I'm at. The owner, he's a GSE as well. When we're, whenever we're talking to customers and talking about pen testing, we bring up, hey, we have two GSEs on staff that do the work, and there's less than 400 in the world. We're working on getting our third as well. So it's some really exciting stuff that we're, we're on. The second most impactful cert I got from SANS would have to be the GNFA which is the GIAC Network Forensics Analyst, because that was the first cert I took through SANS in the first class I went through with SANS. And this was in, I think, August of 2018. And it just completely opened my eyes about all this different training and then different net wars, CTFs, all this stuff. That was my first exposure to all of it in like super technical training where before I was doing CompTIA or Navy schools and the CompTIA stuff's great, but it's also still more surface level and the Navy training is great too. Again, it's surface level where compared to SANS, it gets very detailed into all the bits and bytes about why and how all this stuff works. And then you have the hands-on exercises and challenges and CTFs that go along with it. And that just blew me away with the, the quality that it has. And I've been completely in love with it ever since. Yeah, good, mate. Good. So G GSE, GNFA. Yeah, they're, they're cool. Cool, yeah. <laughs> I did the ages ago. I did a mock from a book on mock exam of CompTIA. But what you're describing here sounds different level, different yep. arena altogether <laughs> compared to that. Cool. Okay, mate. But yeah, 400 in the world then. Um, yep. Yeah, where are they? Are they mainly across America or are they all over or is that? No, they're all over actually. There's a lot in the EU as well. Okay, cool. Cool. And um, we've spoken about communication. I think we spoke about it off air the other week when we were chatting. And we, 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 it's come up randomly throughout this, this episode so far. Uh, I've asked this question before, but I want to keep asking it because. As you've mentioned, it's intrinsically linked to progression and self-development. How can I keep refining, enhancing my communication skills if I'm good but I want to get better? And also, like, where do I start if I know that they're just not where they need to be? Yeah, that's a good question. So I really like to read a lot of books, actually. Mm. And... I think those books help me understand different perspectives of how vulnerabilities are discussed or how they're reported. And, and that does help me get a lot of other context about how is the person that's going to be reading 
what I'm writing going to understand and, and what are they going to be thinking and if they have any kind of rebuttals or other pieces of information that they feel like they should need with that information or not. So I, I really like to think about what the person that's going to be reading what I'm writing or, or communicating with is going to be trying to understand and, and wants to do with that information or, or what they expect from it. Mm-hmm. Cool, mate. I think as well, I just think people need to be so careful what they put in their, their, their brains. If you're sat there just like us, See, I sound like an old man now, but when you see like young kids going around and they're just like watching rubbish on whatever it might be, TikTok, and I just think, <laughs> oh god, that, that worries me a bit because it does make a difference. If you're putting, uh, if you're listening to podcasts or reading books of highly educated, intelligent people, that that is going to make a difference to the, yep. the direction you go in, and we're probably not always aware of what we're putting in our minds, but. I think over time it can have a probably a bigger effect than we think. Oh, it so. definitely does. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Definitely, definitely. Ask this question a lot, but I, I don't know if you do. You get hit up a lot on um, LinkedIn by juniors asking for help and stuff. Or? I, I do, yeah, and, and I actually love it. Love it because a lot of times it's hey, I have this specific question or, or I have this specific thing, and I love helping people figure out or pass along another resources to them. I'm in a bunch of different Slack communities and Discord channels as well. I love reaching out and, and helping people solve questions and, and get try to get things done. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, no. The, what I wanted to ask you tips for breaking in. So I did a LinkedIn Live, I think it was last week, because a guy had come in on the GRC route. So we talked about that because... <laughs> The skills gap actually does exist there. I know everyone yep. says it exists in pen testing or cybersecurity engineering or cloud skills. It does, but it's only at the senior end of the market for everyone listening. So when my clients are screaming at me, they're not screaming for juniors. They're screaming yeah. for the best yep. of the best of the best at senior levels. That's where the skills gap is. But I know GLC can be slightly different. I know you talked about the sysadmin route. In your opinion, Chris, what's the best way to break in, mate? Yeah, CTFs. Got to do the CTFs because that is the hands-on stuff where it's the gap between training and employment. Because in, in your training, you work in these very structured environments where you learn either about a tool. If you're lucky, you might have a little workbook where you're going through an example of it, but it's not real world stuff. So yeah, sure, you might have learned how to run a few switches on a tool, but until you're given problem where they give you some evidence and say, find out, find the answer inside of this. That's where you learn how to do this stuff for real. And that's where you you have to take the tools and actually learn how to use the tools in ways that you may not have learned or read documentation and really understand and how to leverage them in order to solve those problems and get those answers. The more CTFs you do, the more valuable you're going to be to an employer and those are the things I'm particularly looking for when we're hiring people as well is, okay, great. You got a handful of certifications, but how do I know how driven you are? How do I know where your passion is? And how do I know if you know how to actually do this stuff or not? So I pay a lot of attention to people that do the CTFs, that do hack the box, that do try hack me. And in particular, some of my favorite things to look for are the ones that make a a write-up for either a CTF or a machine on Hack the Box. 
and they actually walk through how they did that problem and how they solved it. Because that shows me as an employer, I understand, okay, here's your thought process, how you attack a problem. And then also here's how you present it and how you talk to others and help as if it was a report. Here's, here's the problem. And then here's what all of that in particular would mean to a customer and how they can gain value from it. Thanks, mate. And thank you for relating that to what you look for when you hire as well, because that, yep. that will be helpful for people. Yeah, look, I'm refining. I have a nine-point list that I'm, I check off and I play around with it all the time and refine it and improve it. And uh, that's one of the things I look at as well. And the industry moves so fast if you're not if you're not on point with your self-development, you, just because you're great this year doesn't even necessarily mean you'll be the best of the best next year. It moves at that pace. But yeah, I think skill set, retention, cultural fit. I'm just looking down here now, what people are doing before work, after work. Do you look at personal brand at all? We started looking at personal brand now as well as an agency. A, l- a little bit. I'm Honestly, I'm more concerned about what someone is providing in a write-up and, and how they're working through that information and, and how they're staying current. The personal branding is great. Anything beyond a GitHub page and maybe where they're storing write-ups is just extra fluff in my opinion. So it's definitely nice to have. It's cool. I'm really looking for that hard technical stuff when I'm seeing if this is someone that we should hire or not. Cool, mate. Cool. Low level guys and girls, yeah? (laughs) Yep. I absolutely love it. Yeah. Great. So you mentioned learning resources in Slack channels that you're in and stuff like that. If you've got any, by by the way, that are really cool, if you could let us know now, that'd be great. But also uh, if you could share them, because I'm always trying to, I went through a phase last year, Chris, I was just pinging so many learning resources down my LinkedIn page. If people go back on the page about even about six, seven months, it's just like a treasure trove of like random learning resources that are really cool. But I feel like at the junior end, they're quite easy to find. But I feel like when you get to the very, very senior end of the market, obviously like Hack the Box, Try Hack Me, yep. with the Web Academy, there's stuff that we all know. But is there anything a bit more bit more unique that really has really helped you, mate? I really like the Bloodhound, <laughs> the Slack workspace for Bloodhound. That okay. one is pretty fin- fantastic if you have I've been heard in about there. This. I've heard, yeah. and I've heard it's quite welcoming as well. It's a big it's name to know. Well. Yeah, yeah phenomenal guys. Like they, yeah. they absolutely love talking to new people and help them understand. So mm-hmm. they, they have some really great resources in there, and always a ton of great questions in there. Mm-hmm. There is the Sans Offensive Operations Discord server as well. That one is pretty fantastic. Where they have channels for each of the courses, but then also very general channels where. We can talk through things and, and ask questions. So that one's great. I'm a big fan of that. And um, which book, mate, which book, it can be book or it can be podcast, has had the biggest positive effect on uh, your career so far, my friend? Yeah, so I really like Al Swigart's Automate the Boring Stuff with Python because mm. I've been entirely self-taught with Python and programming. And that book really helped me get started on that journey and understand and and figure out how to take what I wanted to figure out, what I wanted to automate, and then how to actually do it. So that book in particular really helped me understand and really actually build out Python programming so I can do it effectively and professionally now. 
I'm also a big fan of the Sean Harris all-in-one CISSP book. So that one is definitely the very high-level kind of information and stuff for like the CISSP domains, but I, I still constantly reference it. I pull it out and, and read through it and understand how she was writing about these different domains and, and how I can translate that and put it into my writing. And I also like the, the Web Application Hacker's Handbook. So even though it's like over a decade old, it's still stuff. Yep. And then I'm also writing a book with my university professor, Jesse Barcelona as well. Right. So we're targeting to have that released for Black Hat next year. And really excited to get that out soon cool. as well. Cool, cool. Yeah, the, 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 the web app hacker sound, I mean, it's literally, it's like that. It's, oh, yeah. It's huge, isn't it? When you first get it, you're like, oh, God. <laughs> I know. It's, it's intimidating. And it is so good. It's full of amazing resources. But yeah, and it's so true what you said. It's so old, but some, there's still such good, such good stuff in there. Yep. If I remember right, it's the guy, it's the guy from MB Sex, the author. If I remember that right, I think. I don't recall. We'll yeah. put it in the show notes anyway. But yeah, no, listen, it's a wicked, it's a wicked book. Yeah, CISSP. So again, has that helped your management, your communication skills? Yeah. Yep, very much. Good. Automate the boring stuff. I love that as well because I did a poll actually late last night and. And it was about like automating. I think I was talking about automating network pen testing or something. And I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. Because my thought is, like I'm saying to people on the team at the minute, if it's highly repetitive and it's not going to annoy people if it's client-facing, you've got to be careful with, with that one as well. So just, just automate it. Because if I can spend less time doing a highly repetitive task and more time talking to the best pen tester uh, in yep. New York, and I can build a stronger relationship with him or her, then that's a much better use of my time as a recruiter than sitting there clicking this keyboard uh, yep. 100 times. So, and I'm thinking, same with you, Chris, if you're writing an attack script to get behind in a particular scanner or pick a particular uh, tool, if you can spend two hours on that instead of half an hour, then surely you're going to improve your level of hacking ability, your self-development is going to improve. Do you think, would you agree with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I always try to automate as many things as I can. And it is a delicate balance though, because there always has to be a manual point in there where we run all these automated tools, but we have to make sure we understand why they're being used and what they're automating. Mm. The tools are only as good as the people using them and the tools are never perfect. So in an event where the tool fails or it doesn't gather information properly, how do we know if it didn't get all the information that it should have? Or how do we know if it's missing things? So it, it is a delicate balance, but it is very important that we automate things because I can't spend a whole week looking through every individual IP individually one at one. There's no time for that. So we have to automate our scanning and enumeration and try to find the things that uh, are the most vulnerable that bubble up to the surface for us to investigate manually. Definitely. And I, I think as well, it's a, I think, like you said, you've got to be careful what you automate. And I think it's so true because I think in cybersecurity, we're all quite obsessive guys and girls. And sometimes like we can just go, oh God, yeah, automation. And yep. <laughs> I think you've got to keep the intention in mind and you've got to keep the quality of the service in mind. Quality is everything. And, and yeah, definitely. So whether I'm talking about 
offensive security recruitment or actually hacking a web app, then I think just keep the intentions really clear in your mind and keep the service. But it sounds like you're doing that, mate. But yeah, I know it's just, it's, just, it's the same for me because you, you can't take it too far because you just wind people. It just, it just annoys people. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so were we talking about you using Amazon Books to pass notifications? If I remember that, tell me, tell me more, Brian. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah, it's going to be the same ones. The uh, Sean Harris all-in-one CISSP. Okay, cool. Alice Figure automate the boring stuff in the web application hackers handbook. I've got a ton of other books from like No Starts Press that I'm always reading. And I don't just read the books. I also actually get like the little post-it tab notes and I actually tab out specific areas in those books that I'm going to reference later on. I'm also a big fan of things like the uh, Red Team Field Manual. So go through that and then keep that on hand, especially when I'm doing a CTF or something, so I can crack those out and yeah, yeah. start looking who's, through Who's that by, mate? Who's that by, Chris? So that one is Ben Clark and Nick Downer. Cool. Thank you, mate. And um, you mentioned, so you've mentioned GNFA, you've mentioned GSE. Could you tell us a bit about GXPN, the binary exploitation certification you've got and what you learned from that one? Yeah, yes, that one is Advanced Network Pen Testing and Exploit Developer. So that one particularly, it does spend a lot of time on like layer two attacks in a network, which was really cool. And I, I've learned a lot and been able to apply that in a lot of environments. Things like DTP and Vila and trunk hopping, which is a ton of fun. And a lot of sysadmins don't know or recognize the, the threat from that. So that, that one's, uh, I learned a lot from it and I'm, I'm not very good at Pwn or reverse engineering. I did learn a lot from those and I know I still have a lot more to learn from those, but I'm really thankful I had a, a chance to take that course and, and learn all of that. So it was a really cool perspective. Good. Thank you, mate. And then I'm just going to ask you, just going to ask you one more, my friend, any advice for people tuning into the podcast, any additional advice when it comes to leadership i know with kind of said communication and anything else at all i know career progression is so important for people listening again i just know it's i know that sense of purpose button being pressed really counts for a lot is there anything else you could you could give us on that my friend yeah do ctfs and read books okay cool do those you will be very (laughs) successful (laughs) it sounds crazy but if you can do a little bit of those every day that adds up and the consistency Mm -hmm. is everything yeah, definitely. There's a book, by the way, called The Slight Edge by Jeff Osman, I believe. Okay. And he basically, basically, essentially, the premise of the book is he's basically explaining to you in loads of different ways what how the compound effect of something is basically game changing, and that's what you said. I yep. think sometimes we can get ex- listen to a podcast, get excited go and do CTS for six hours straight, and then go oh, and then not do any for maybe a few weeks. It's probably best yep. just to actually. Make it achievable, sustainable. Make sure you enjoy it as well. That's so important. It's got to be something where you can do it consistently with ease and be really happy because that's hard to compete with, isn't it? It's tough. It's really tough. That's the difference between motivation and discipline. Anybody can be motivated for an hour, but the discipline is where you do it every day. And that's where it gets tough. Yeah, definitely. I've heard that motivation is overrated discipline yeah yeah good chris i think that's not a bad place to, to finish if we have we covered everything my friend 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for having me. It's been yeah, great. No, listen, mate, it's been, it's been really good. There's lo- loads of helpful stuff in there. I've been making notes on that. Obviously you mentioned a fair few resources there. You mentioned a fair few different certifications and stuff like that. So, yeah. The people in my agency will have some uh, work to do piecing that all together. <laughs> if it's good for the community, then hey, ho. <laughs> yeah, no, all, all, all good mates. So. Chris, thank you for your time. Very enjoyable episode, very helpful, and I'm sure we'll uh, speak again soon. Thanks, Chris. Sounds great. Thank you so much.